Hey guys, today's guest is the talented, funny, and kind-hearted Brooke Burke, who did an amazing job as my co-host for the episode. Our first call was with a listener trying to mend the relationship between her stepfather and her half-siblings. Next, we spoke with a young woman whose jealous colleague has created a decidedly unpleasant work environment. At the end of the episode, Brooke shares some wellness advice that makes so much sense and sounds so easy that even I might give it a try. Here's Brooke. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. So, Brooke, I just read that you were spotted in Italy. Will you tell me all about it? (laughs) Spotted in Italy. I love that. Yes, so I absolutely love Italy, and so does my fiancé, which, whoa, that's crazy, since he's only been a fiancé for about a week. We've been trying to get there for so long, and, you know, for obvious reasons, travel has just been all jacked up. So when we first started dating, he wanted to take me to Italy, and I'm like, I'm reserving this one spot in the world for true love, and we're not going there yet. (laughs) So (laughs) we waited a few years, and we finally went part celebration of my 50th birthday. Wow, which I just turned 50. I became a fiancé. Happy birthday. Thank you. I mean, all kinds of things. It's quite overwhelming. But we got on a boat. We spent less than a week there with some friends. And then we went to Positano, which I love, the incredible vertical city. So romantic. We went to Rome. Oh. It was action-packed. Yeah, it was really fun. It was really nice. And I just got back. Will you tell us about, like, an amazing meal that you had in Amalfi? I don't think I've ever had pasta every day for (laughs) 10 days straight. Confession, I've never had pasta twice a day, which is just bananas for me because I usually eat kind of a Mediterranean diet and I intermittent fast, but just so much pasta and everything's so fresh and you're walking around and drinking wine all day long, which is so decadent, but still fun. And we kind of earned it, I feel like this year. I like something called butarg, which is a lot of people don't know what it is. It's going to sound gross, but it's actually really yummy. It's like a roe. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like shaved on pasta with like butter and garlic. And it's funny, Scott didn't care for it at all because it kind of smells like the sea, but I love it, which is weird because he eats oysters, but he doesn't eat caviar or roe or anything like that. Um, So decadent. And just pasta, 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 and grilled fish. And I could probably not see or eat pasta for a really long time. Again, I've been joking around with my community that I'm on the pasta slim down. I literally was eating pasta every day, sometimes twice a day for 10 days. That's a long time. That's not like a weekend. But I'm so glad you did because (laughs) it's like the fucking best. (laughs) You have to. It's kind of rude not to, right? And did you get engaged there? We got engaged at the house waiting for the car service on our way there. So it's not a super romantic um, story. But I think he was wanting to propose there, but he couldn't put the ring in his pocket or go through customs or I didn't know how he was going to do it or if it just got really scary or I don't really know. I was scared. So no, we got engaged at the house before we left. So I literally was like rushing out the door. We got engaged. I had just turned 50. I just had had a birthday party. It was all kinds of stuff. And we're in the car and I'm like leaving my kids for 14 days, which I've never done before. It's just like a whole fucking thing, but it was amazing. So I'd like to say it was impossibly romantic. It wasn't, but the ring is amazing and he's romantic. And yeah, I mean, we 
We got to celebrate in Italy, so zero complaints from this one. <laughs> I am so happy for you, and I'm also so envious. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. We have something in common. I think you've been married two other times before. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too, baby. Okay, so I thought that was it. I thought two and done. And I would have said never, never, ever. And I always say never say never. But, you know, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know if I'd ever love again the way that I love him. I was married to the love of my life once, not the first time, (laughs) to be honest. And I just didn't really want to or need to or dream of doing it again. And then I met Scott and had an open heart and nothing about him scares me, which I guess that kind of says it all. Yes. Yeah. Because all that stuff would probably scare me. Like I have my life. I have my kids. He has his house. I have my house. It's just really nice how it is. I wasn't really needing or wanting or wishing for more than that, but it just feels right. And I don't know. Yeah. Like you never know. It was the same with us. Michael had been married before, too, and neither of us really had any desire to get married again. But after we had been together a few years, I just, I really wanted to marry him, and I'm really happy I did. Good. It's funny how love becomes more, like, multifaceted as you get older. When you're a teenager, you kind of, you love hard, even though you barely know the person. Yeah. (laughs) And then in your 20s. I think I did that well into my 20s, 30s, and 40s. <laughs> Reckless. Yeah, and now you get all the best parts at the same time. Thinking back on your divorces, how do you view them now? Such a good question. And, then, you know, it's part of the journey and the lesson. Like, I was a really lousy first wife. I think I was a pretty good second wife. Why would you describe yourself as lousy as a first wife? Young, reckless, irresponsible, unfaithful, just young and wild and free and not ready. Like, you know, just like a whole lot of reasons, which I'm able to say that, not casually, but you own it. You either grow from your shit, face it, own it, learn, get better, or you don't. So I'm very transparent. I know what I did wrong. I know what I would never do again. I was an impeccably, impossibly faithful second wife. I don't think I ever had an inappropriate telephone conversation in the second marriage because I knew what the other side of it looked like and the destruction of a family. I don't say that lately. There's nothing funny about it, but, you know, we're speaking honestly about the journey. And, you know, to answer your question, it doesn't feel good to have been married twice. And I don't like the word failure, but it did fail. It needed to, and it needed to change. And I'm okay with that. You know, I look back at it and I never would have thought that, you know, it's sucky for a family, really hard for kids, but I learned so much and evolved. And I think now at this point in my life and in my late forties, I had to meet myself with grace and compassion and acceptance. And that took a really long time to evolve and to get really honest with myself and to sort of grow up in the inner dialogue process, that fucked up phase we go through as women where we just meet ourselves with acceptance. And it's not just like, oh, I got married and then I got divorced and oh, it failed. Now it's not, not that at all. It's going through the evolution of change and dreams and disappointments and expectations and, you know, just learning just really learning. I've learned so much from marriage, the good and the bad parts of it. 
you know, and it's made me who I am. Like today, I know what I wouldn't do. I know what's not okay. I have a different voice. I have different boundaries. I think I'm probably much nicer, (laughs) better. I think it's a better me that I bring to this new relationship. Without getting into anything that would make you ever uncomfortable, what was the impetus for your second divorce? You know, I love real talk. So, I mean, I think that's how people really respond to you and how we learn as women and men. It's other people's stories, right? So very few things are off limits in my life. But thank you for that consideration. I think that there was always like a struggle and I don't blame my second husband or myself for that. It's just who we were. I think we were young, very similar in age. I think we knew each other for decades. I think we were fiery personalities. I think there was ego, stubbornness. Um, We were just like hot-headed, like reacting and not listening. It just didn't work. And we really wanted it to work. We're both such family people. I was bound and determined to make second marriage work because the first one didn't. We gave it our all. I think it was just personalities and who we brought to the table and resistance and immaturity, to be honest. It's funny in my current relationship with Scott, I think, why is it so easy? Is it him? Is it me? Do I bring a better version of myself? Is he just different, better, better for me? Like, what the hell is it? Why is there an ease? And I still don't know, except that, and I don't like the word easy. There's just like a flow. There's an ease about it. And it's beautiful. It's almost like a a girl. Mom deserves the best. And there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Friend. That's so funny that you say that because when I first met my now husband, I kept questioning like the same thing. Like I had this need to answer that question. Like, <laughs> why is it working? <laughs> Right. And he would always say, oh, we just fit. Well, maybe it's that simple. Because I thought David and I really just fit. Everybody else thought we fit. I mean, it looked really good from the outside looking in, but we did not fit. And we we did in many ways, and we didn't in many ways. And I think it's like, it's really interesting. I try to break things down for my kids. and, And sometimes I say to them in the most basic way, like, stay away from people that make you feel bad. Like things that make you feel bad, stay away from those things, not just people, but things, stuff, opportunities, jobs, friends, guys, love, food, like things, (laughs) like to not overcomplicate it, stay away from things that make you feel bad. And I think love is intoxicating. It's addictive. It's confusing. It's an adrenaline. I kind of like adrenaline. (laughs) I didn't mind the roller coaster of the highs and the lows in every way, intimately, you know, emotionally, like fucking all of it. But I think that things that make you feel bad takes time to understand that and to recognize that. And like now, if something made me feel bad, anything, a job, a gig, a relationship, a friendship, a place, it's super loud and super simple for me. I'll be like, ooh, no, 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 thank you. Nope, nope, not into that. Completely. And I guess the opposite of that is what feels good and what makes you happy. 
And I think that that's the other part of why relationships work or don't. I would say that Michael and I both put effort into making each other feel good. Effort isn't the right word because it's easy, but it's amazing when someone cares about your happiness and does something about it. I think in the past, I would just kind of be grateful for that smaller percentage of good and try to ignore the bad. That took a lot more effort. You know, it's funny you say that because I used to evaluate that also, but I had probably like 20% was so epic in my marriage and 80% sucked. But I was like, yeah, but this 20% is unbelievable. And I was kind of cruising really comfortably there. Where now, I think if 10% now with Scott was bad, I would be like, listen, we need to have a family meeting here. (laughs) My red alert would be so loud. Maybe that's just age. I'm not an expert. I just, I know what I know now and I know what feels good. I I don't know, romantic ambiance, relationship. Like there's something to be said about that, about feelings and vibes and energy and flow and ease and resistance. And maybe I'm not resisting anymore. I don't know. When you told your friends and family that you guys were getting a divorce, were they shocked or do you even remember? No one was shocked. I think it was more surprising that we stayed in it as long as we did. I think it was incredibly disappointing. I think people that knew us and loved us knew that change was necessary. I've been very blessed that I have a very accepting, supportive family. Thank God. I also have a great circle of friends, but friends aren't always brave enough to be brutally honest with you. Mm -hmm. So the things that oftentimes people learn after the destruction of a relationship is what people really thought. (laughs) And I'm sort of like, geez, you guys, do you think you should have spoke up maybe somewhere along the... (laughs) That's always complicated. I know. And It's not always our place. And I think that's tricky, that freedom of communication in a friendship, in a marriage, in a relationship, in a romantic relationship. I think communication is so important. It's delicate, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about like the wedding stuff now? Not to squash, you know, the bridal dreams, but it always just seems like a big party for everyone else. I just got suckered into planning my 50th. I didn't plan it alone. Scott's so amazing. He insisted that I have a 50th birthday. And I was like, why is everyone rushing me to 50? And why do we have to celebrate this? And can I just stay 40-ish forever? And like, this is not need of a big freaking 50 celebration. And my girlfriends got on board and they're like, well, we're doing it. It's happening. And I kind of got forced into it. And my initial reaction was, this is a lot of work and a lot of trouble and a lot of money. And it's really just a big party for everybody else. It's not really just for me because I don't really want a party for my birthday I'm not that person. Like, I love to throw a party. I just didn't really want to do it for myself. I sort of feel the same way about a wedding, but I feel very different in this relationship. Right, yeah. And I feel very different about Scott. So I don't know. I I don't know. How did you meet him? How did you meet Scott? I met him at a wine bar called Wally's in Santa Monica, and it was at a time in my life where I wasn't really dating. I wanted to be dating, and I was single, and I've never been single in my life, so being single was a big-time growth opportunity for me. Very challenging, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of crying myself to sleep at night, a lot of transformative work, a lot of growing. I did a lot of retreats that I guided other women through, you know, through my wellness business. So it was just like an incredible learning period of time for me. 
And I didn't like being single. I had to force myself to just suck it up and face it and do it. So I met him at sort of just the right time. I so relate to that. But wait, I want the details. You're at Wally's, kind of making eye contact. No, not even. I'm sitting at the bar with my stylist. I had just finished a show and an older gentleman who I call Papa, who's in his 70s, is like a father figure to me. And the three of us are sitting there having a glass of wine and I was getting ready to head back to Malibu. I didn't have my car. I had all my stuff in my stylist car. Papa was giving me a ride home. It was like one of those things. And Scott came walking up to the bar, completely ignored my really hot blonde stylist girlfriend of mine and me, walked right up to Papa and said, I really like your hat, sir, because my Papa always wears this like incredible Nick Fouquet, like gorgeous hat. And he's all Gucci'd out. And he's quite a sight for anyone's eyes. Awesome. Oh, he's so awesome. I was like, God, that guy is super sexy, like silver fox, like scruffy beard, hot. Didn't even look at us. Didn't even say hello. It's like playbook number like three, right? Walk up to the bar and ignore the girl. And I was like, oh my God, did you see that guy? Just walked off. It was like crickets. It's always been a joke with my girlfriends. I'm like, you see what I'm talking about? I'm sitting at the bar with my girlfriend. Yeah, Papa could have been my sugar daddy, but he's not. But I mean, at least say hello. So we had our wine, paid our check. We're getting ready to leave. And then Scott came walking up to me and grabbed my arm, which who invades the bubble? Like who does that nowadays? Who dares to feel so free to touch you, right? (laughs) And he was like, hi, you know, I'm Scott. Come and have a drink with me. And I was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, But I was also, I couldn't have the drink because, like, I had to transfer the bags. I was in another city. I just, I really couldn't. Papa was driving way out of his way. I, it just was a whole thing. I was like, I'd really like to have that drink, but I can't. And he grabbed my arm again and said, no, no, you come and have that drink with me. And like pulled me over to this table, not aggressively, where he was sitting with three guys. And I was like, I think this might be my human. That sounds kind of intense. I wasn't offended. It wasn't creepy. It was like, and who would ever do that? It could have been so wrong. And it, it wasn't. Long story short, I couldn't have the drink because I really did need to go. He let me walk off into the sunset, didn't ask me for my number. I went out to valet. I think he might have felt rejected. And my stylist, her name's Isabel, she was like, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes running back inside. I'm like, Isabel, wait, 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 wait. And she comes back, and I didn't know the conversation that they had had until much later. She walked right up to him, made a beeline, and she was like, what is wrong with you, dude? Do you want her number or not? Gave him my phone number. <laughs> and then she said, and don't be that guy. Like, don't be a douche, you call her. Like, tonight. Swear to God, who does that? Wow. She walks back out. She's like, I gave him your number. I'm like, you what? She goes, yeah. I leave. I go home. And sure enough, he called me. And we had this really cute exchange. And then we met. And it's just, it's a funny story that never would have happened had it not been for her. And, you know, we really clicked and connected and dated, made a commitment. And, uh, you know, it's been like two and a half years. And it's just great in every way. And you reclaimed the Amalfi Coast. Yeah, I held out. I got to go. We made it happen even in, you know, COVID times. And, you know. Brooke, I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, should we talk to one of our listeners? Yeah, I'd love to. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Chelsea. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah. Um, my parents divorced when I was about five or six, and then my mom remarried. So I was raised by my mom and stepdad, and he's got three kids from previous relationships. And I think that over the years, there's always been this small divide where my older siblings have this connection where they feel neglected by their dad growing up because he raised my little sister and I. So it's just really stressful because I think no one likes talking about these hard types of conversations. And I'm nervous. So my thoughts are kind of scattered. That's okay. We're nervous. We're nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I just find myself kind of always being the mediator of things where I'll hear venting from my parents and then my older siblings will vent about my parents. And so there's negative things on both sides, but no one's ever willing to talk about it. And so I kind of try to suggest ways to talk about it, to get past the hardships or to have better relationships. And at this point, I'm kind of like, I realize that I can't change anything and I'm only responsible for my relationships with each of them. And I feel that I have a good relationship with my older siblings. We're not super tight because we didn't necessarily grow up together in the same household, but we're on good terms other than what they think about my parents, I guess. So how do I not let that bother me to just let them have their relationships, whether they want them or not, and focus on my relationship with them so that it doesn't bother me? In your letter, when I read it, I was like, she is an incredibly generous person. You say, I want a relationship with all of my siblings. Okay, so you have two or three younger siblings and one or two older siblings. Two younger siblings that were all raised in the same household and three older siblings who were raised by their mother. Okay, and the tension, is it mostly with the younger siblings? We're all very close. My step-siblings, I think, are a little more distant because they were raised by their mother. And so I think that they were raised to not appreciate their dad because it seems like they were raised to believe that he wasn't there for them, that he wasn't taking care of them. So I think that's where they get their sense of neglect from. But my dad thinks he did the best that he could, which I believe that too. And so rather than asking him about it or like reaching out to talk to him, they just kind of all assume the worst parts. And I think the anger builds from there. So it bothers them that you guys kind of adore your stepdad. I think in some extent, yeah. 
Yeah, because they've experienced maybe the guy who was maybe unfaithful or like wasn't around and they are annoyed that you guys see kind of the better version of him. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think it's so amazing that you're even making the effort and trying to you know, build a better bridge and have a relationship with everyone. I come from a blended family and I raised my children also in, I want to say a broken family. It's not a great word, but it is (laughs) what it is. And so I've been through a lot of resistance from children with my second husband, who was not their father. I think children want to blame someone for their pain. I think your stepfather could have been innocent. Who knows what the reasons were? But I think children need to blame someone because they don't fully understand the process of change and letting go and rebuilding. It's really interesting. My oldest daughter now is 22, and I also have a 19-year-old daughter. And now they have a relationship with their stepdad, who I'm no longer married to. But let me tell you, resentment would have been complementary to what children sometimes go through in these households. And I think communication's really hard. Like, you know, sometimes being brutally honest in your communication and being able to just set the stage to be able to express things that this is bothering me or this feels uncomfortable or I wish we could make this better or could we talk about this or is there something we're not talking about or could we possibly explore this or could we try to make this better? So like there's so many ways of approaching Mm -hmm. it and you know, resentment is hard and ugly and toxic. And I really feel you. Like I've been through it on so many different levels with different personalities in my family. I had a stepdad too. And my older sister couldn't stand that either because it wasn't her dad. And then new kids come along and a new stepmom comes along and it just jacks up the whole family (laughs) dynamic. And then everybody's pissed and you can be the most amazing human being ever. And, you know, my second husband didn't stand a chance with my two daughters because he wasn't their dad and they wanted to blame someone and their dad blamed him. And it's like this vicious thing, right? Vicious cycle. (laughs) So I really, I get it. It's complicated and it's case by case with each sibling, right? Mm -hmm. Who was in their ear? What did their mom tell them? What's the story that they were told? What's the story that they told themselves in their own mind even? Is it the real story? And all stories have nuance. All of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm lucky where my mom never really bashed on my dad. I mean, they didn't have a great relationship, but they kept it mutual for the sake of my little sister and I. You're lucky. And so I think we were really fortunate to have a relationship with my dad. And then there's my stepdad, who I also have a good relationship with, but it didn't seem like their moms were as supportive. It's one of the biggest problems with divorce. And it's so abusive to children when a parent cannot take the high road and develop a better working divorce than marriage because their kids are so impressionable and they don't stand a chance on differentiating between truth and opinion. In fact, it's just, it really pisses me off. And I went through that too. And you're lucky that your mom was strong enough not to do that and your stepfather or even to take the high road and realize that there's no value in that. And we never know what that dialogue Mm -hmm. is and, and where those feelings came from. And also why a child doesn't have the ability to accept and it's probably their inner pain. And I just love that you recognize it and want to make it better. And, you know, maybe it's an intimate conversation individually and just recognizing, you know, hey, I sense that a lot of this just feels bad. And if you ever want to talk about it, you know, maybe that's the approach. I think that sounds really good. At least 
It will start the conversation. You know, you never know. There's no right answer or easy solution, right? It's, right. It's painful. Do you all live in the same area? No. So, well, I do have an older sibling here in Utah, but I have two older siblings that live out of state because that's where their mother ended up raising them. So I think that's a big part as to why they didn't have their dad around because they lived in a different state. So we communicate a little over text. Mm -hmm. But it's like brief. Very brief. I gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you guys are all together for family gatherings, can you feel the struggle and feel the resistance? A little bit because, so I haven't actually seen them face-to-face in a few years. Part of that was COVID. All of us wanted to try to do these sibling trips once a year. That started in the COVID year. So obviously that was canceled. So I really hope we can do that in the future. But the times that my older siblings have traveled to Utah, they kind of will make it a point to throw in a little bash on my mom and dad when you guys aren't around. Like they said, that's how they connect, I guess, because they have that same bond of feeling neglected. So I don't really know the extent as to why they feel so hurt and what their anger is. So I try not to assume a whole lot, but it just feels like whatever they are angry about, that the anger is the main feeling. I love the idea of your sibling trip. I hope it happens. Fingers crossed. Just where you're coming from and wanting to heal and wanting to make it better and being connected enough and even being aware of it. Like, I really commend you for that. And I'm always positive in the reality that wounds heal. Yeah, I think it'll make you feel really good to do this, but do be prepared for your feelings to be hurt, for some like potential rejection, or, you know, just as people wrap their heads around the idea, if they want that kind of family unit, they may not be ready for it. I don't know. But I love it that you're trying, and there's a lot of reward in being the peacemaker and the mediator that you are. Can you reach out? Maybe pick one of the older siblings and talk about the trip. Like, where should we go? Do you want to help me plan it? Like I said, you may get rejected a little bit. Right. Like, uh, I don't think we can do this. This We're too busy. But that moment will resonate eventually with them. That will count as something. You put something in the bank there towards your goal. That's a good point. And I think you're right where I don't really know exactly how they would react because we don't talk about it. But like with my parents, I try to engage them to engage with their older kids. And I think I get more pushback on that. Oh, okay. So the parents are a different thing. Siblings, I think a long phone conversation, if you can get them on the phone for a while, just to get to know them too. Because if and when this family trip happens, you guys are in an interesting position where you don't really know each other that well at this point. A lot's happened and people have gone through a lot. And your communication has been incredibly perfunctory. As far as your mom and stepdad, will you tell us a little bit more about that dynamic? Yeah, I'd like to kind of better understand that. So I think that my stepdad feels like he's done everything he can, where he's not a real warm, fuzzy guy. And so I think the way he shows his love is by working really hard. He's worked hard his whole life to provide for his family. So he's always paid child support to their mother. He's helped with some college pay or some living expenses. And I think that in his mind, he's doing all that he can. He's not going to be one to reach out to them necessarily. But I think my siblings want more of an emotional connection is what I gather. And so I don't know that it's not enough because I think they're grateful for that. But it seems like they hone in on what's not being done or what's not being said. And so it feels like then anything that he has done is not enough. And I think that's how he feels that neither one of them almost don't want to try anymore. I think they kind of sometimes want to throw their hands up 
I mean, they say things like they wish they just didn't have to deal with it at all, but I think there's somewhere in them that still wants something. I can't make him reach out to them, but I can hopefully help them realize his good sides, I guess. I think your approach is realistic. Like we can't make our parents be certain things that they're not, but we can kind of communicate from like a first person point of view. Chelsea, does your stepdad talk about your older siblings? Does he say things like, man, they never appreciate this? Or like, Mm -hmm. I can't believe they're complaining about this. Or does he just shoulder it and is he silent about it? No, he's made those comments before, mostly just if someone else brings it up. He doesn't necessarily bring it up or I think likes talking about it. And I'm probably the one that brings it up the most. And so then he'll just throw his hands up like he just doesn't want to deal with it. They're not grateful. And so it makes him not want to try anymore. Well, let me take a chance because, you know, it's all unqualified. What I do sometimes is call for a family meeting. Mm -hmm. And it's not like a formal thing. Most of my family is from Salt Lake City as well. And they're Mormon. I'm not, but they are. So they always do these family meetings, which is like super productive. And when I learned about that, I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) And we could have a family meeting like every Sunday. This would be huge. And I always joke around with my current relationship about it too. If there's ever tension, I'm like, we need to have a family meeting. Mm -hmm. It's a family meeting where we just say, is there anything that anybody needs to talk about or wants to talk about? You know, I was thinking about the possible potential dialogue between you and the parents and, you Mm -hmm. know, sometimes just the approach of, you know, I kind of noticed this and it's bothering me a little bit. And I was wondering if we could talk about it. I was really curious if you've noticed or how you feel about it. Do you think we should talk about that? It's almost like, I kind of noticed this. Did you notice that? Do you think they noticed that? Should we bring this up? Like, sometimes just that. People be like, gosh, you know what? I did. I didn't think I did. But you know what? You're right. <laughs> like, you know when they make those comments? That was kind of bugging me. Like, did that bug you? Like, I have like, tried that a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Chelsea, I'm like in awe of your ability to see the different perspectives here. You have not been judgmental at all. It's really generous of you, which makes me think you can do this. Thank you. I think you can achieve this <laughs> camping yeah. trip. It's yeah, tricky. for sure. But I do like the idea of even just bringing up how they may be feeling. I've tried that a little bit because I think sometimes maybe I can push too hard and what I want to have happen, like telling them you need to go visit them. You need to call them. You need to. And that, I mean, it just shuts everything down when I do that. So I'm trying to do that less and just encourage, I think, what they're feeling. And I think your feelings are valid and they're real. And somebody tried this on me, this style and approach, and it was really surprising and effective. And so I, I want to share it with you. It, it's almost like when you're hearing your siblings express that pain or that resentment or those shitty comments or the jabs or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. What if you were able to say, like, tell me more about that? Interesting. I had a guy do that to me, and I was just like, oh, it's funny you should ask. (laughs) And then he was like, or I'd say something, and he'd be like, well, I want to know more about that. Like, let's unpack that. Tell me about that. And I was like, you do? Oh, okay. (laughs) Like, I have never had anybody come to me with an open space of dialogue. You know what I mean? And it was, like, really effective. And, like, on the heels of that If they say something that surprises you, you know, you can open the conversation so they can feel closer to you. But Chelsea, I really think they will feel closer to your parents through you. You can kind of play that role. You can be like a bridge by your becoming closer to them they will start to think about Utah in a different way. You know what I mean? Right. And through you, your siblings might be able to look at your mom and stepdad differently. 
And it's such a difficult role to be empathetic and to be so aware of people's feelings like that because, you know, it sounds like you hold your heart on your sleeve and this is important to you. And it's hard when you want something that maybe other people don't want. And, you know, to have that EQ so high, it's just, it's beautiful and it's a tremendous responsibility. And just the fact that you, you know, reached out and asked this question and we're having this dialogue and you're open to the possibilities of how to problem solve. It's beautiful. And like my heart hurts for you because I, (laughs) I know I get it. I mean, it's hard to be that mediator and to be so emotionally connected and to be aware I would just default to honesty and I would, you know, try to open up a platform where people can talk about something that they might not be aware of. And sometimes the playing dumb, I mean, quite honestly, it really, you're just like, really, gosh, ooh, like, hmm. (laughs) And Chelsea, when that stuff happens, because it very well could, you know, right? just keep thinking big picture. Like people just talk shit. I'm totally guilty of it myself, so I can't say that. Yeah, and people vent, people talk shit. So don't take any of that stuff personally. You don't need to show your loyalty towards anybody. You can just let that stuff go. And it sounds like this is going to be great. I mean, don't you think, Brooke? Mm -hmm. I totally think so. And I think even lightening it up in that, not reacting in a personal or negative way or just being like, oh my God, we we never had a chance to talk about that. Like, let's Mm -hmm. unpack that. Mm -hmm. Like, here we are. Like, I really want to understand. I never really knew what you meant by that. Like, in a light, inviting way. Mm -hmm. You know, tone and style can be so offensive to us when something's bugging us. Yes. Somebody, like, knew how to approach something or they can just turn you off. So I guess you have that job. (laughs) (laughs) But I have faith in you. I do. I totally have faith in you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You're welcome. My older siblings have a relationship with their parents through me. I really liked the way Anna expressed that and how you added on to that. So that makes me feel better as far as not necessarily wishing that they'll have a relationship that may not ever happen or knowing that I can't really do anything about that. So that made a huge difference. I want to leave you just with this thought too, because I think that most parents, maybe all parents, maybe it's wishful thinking, but are kind of doing the best they can and could be completely unaware And whatever goes wrong, kids are going to blame the parents. It's just how it is. Right. So just put that into perspective, you know. I totally get where you're coming from. And I think my mom can relate to that. (laughs) Chelsea, get this trip on the books. Yeah. Check in with each other. You know, like, okay, so who's bringing the hot dogs? Like, whatever. Like, all that kind of preemptive talk with you guys planning this fun trip will be good for your relationships. Absolutely. You know? I'm really hopeful about that. So I'm fingers good. crossed. I think it'll Me happen. Me too. <laughs> You're incredible, Chelsea. <laughs> really. I'm so impressed. You're like the sister that every family needs. So, yeah. you know, just follow your heart Thank and you. be honest. <laughs> and yeah, you got this. Yeah. And on the trip, like, I think it's great to talk about past and memories. But if things start to go like kind of darker or whatever, or just in a direction, Mm -hmm. try to find a way to bring it back to the future. Let's talk about the future. What are the fun plans? What are we going to do? I want to be present. I want to be like right here with you guys because this is awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's a good point. Just leaving, you know, this sibling getaway with the intention of let's be better. Yeah. Whatever that means to each one of the siblings. Hey, let's, let's just be better. Let's be closer. Let's be more connected. Let's be better. I think they'd be very open to that. And ask them a lot of questions. Just like on your drive there, like think about a lot of questions that you can ask them, like truly in an attempt to know who they are. 
Chelsea, you got this. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for you. Totally. I feel like you really didn't need much of us. <laughs> <laughs> it was very helpful. Thank you. Have a fantastic time, Chelsea. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you both. You as well. Thank you. Bye, Chelsea. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Kelsey, hi. 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 Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Well, we're excited to talk to you. You wrote a really interesting letter. Will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, for sure. So I'm going through a bit of difficulties at my work. I was put on a project about two years ago, which brought a lot of change to the area I was working in. So I found over the past couple of years, it's made me a really easy target for a lot of frustrations with coworkers and whatnot. So I've had a lot of meetings over the last couple of years that have been really hostile, not necessarily professional, like people talking over each other, people have like slammed doors and stuff. But I've tried to like ignore it saying they're just frustrated about work. Like it's nothing about me. It's just work. But it kind of changed this year. I ended up getting a promotion actually because I had done a good job on this project. So after that happened, I found things got worse. And you wrote that you are younger than your coworkers. I'm the youngest person on my team. And there's another woman that also wanted this position as well that's older than me. And after I got this promotion, I found she's become a lot more hostile. She's kind of iced me out. And I almost feel as though she's holding information from me and waiting until I'm in a meeting with a boss to like throw it at me to kind of throw me off. But again, I'm trying to say it's just work. It's not personal. But recently in a meeting, she actually ended up making it personal by calling me out in front of like 10 people saying everything was better before you showed up. You're the reason for the issues like by name. And at this point, it's like it's been two years. I feel like nothing's getting better. No one's really doing anything about it. So I just don't know what to do. <laughs> this is a crazy meeting that you guys had. So they were complaining about work-related issues. Yeah, exactly. So there's been issues kind of ongoing and they just decided to put the blame on me that it was apparently my fault that this is happening. So how was that received? Was there any belief in this? How did your superiors react? Right when she said it, there was like an automatic, like everyone went silent and everyone was like, whoa. Like you could tell everyone was like, that was completely uncalled for. And I did speak with some leadership after and they were like, we don't feel that way. Like that's not true. You're doing a good job, stuff like that. But at the same time, I just kind of feel like you have to do something about it then. Like I can't just keep sitting in meetings yeah. being embarrassed. Is this a corporate world or is this a smaller company? Yeah. Or it is? 
is. So I'm like, the first thing I was thinking of is just about style and HR and what's appropriate and ways in which you approach these kind of things and how unprofessional it is to handle it like that, um, especially in a corporate world. Like, it's surprising that people act that way rather than, you know, addressing issues and bringing them to higher yeah. attention. There's a way in which you go about that. It almost makes this other person look worse than it made you look. But I can imagine how you felt yeah. and the control that you must have had to not address it right then and there. <laughs> and, and I were just talking about finding our voice and sort of living out loud and how we deal with certain things. And you know, there's always like in hindsight, when you're in a moment like that, it's so difficult. And then you look back, you're probably like, God, I wish I would have said this, or I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done that. But I just would be so offended by that, even in the moment that I would... I guess, need to control it and want to control it. But I'm sure you just felt embarrassed and uncomfortable at the time. Like, it seems so inappropriate. But the great thing about it, though, is at least the hostility was everyone became very aware. They were witness to it. Yeah. So that's kind of good news, especially if your boss has reassured you that these issues aren't mm -hmm. your creation or whatever. Exactly. I had a very similar experience. So your letter really hit home. Mm. And I held out hope that having, you know, my coworkers witness multiple times the insanity of this particular person, that something would be done. And do you love this job, Kelsey? It's hard because this is the first time I've really been in this position. So in theory, I feel like I would love it. And if I had like a supporting environment, I feel like it'd be different. But at this point, I'm like, if I'm working in an environment where I'm constantly being put down and like basically getting shots at my confidence, I'm like, I don't know if I even like the job. <laughs> who else do you sort of lump in with this woman? Who else is on her like bratty team? <laughs> there's probably about three of them. Okay, so there's like a gang that sucks. Yeah. She's probably the worst, but the other two are kind of more passive aggressive. Oh. I want to ask you a question about sort of just the culture and the temperature of the workplace. Is it a place where feelings are addressed and energy is considered as far as the way that it affects your performance? Because some companies aren't kind of dialed into that. So like, do you have an opportunity to speak to the higher ups or leaders about how you're feeling and how this is affecting your performance? and your creative ability. I don't know exactly what you do, but is that an appropriate conversation? Would that come out of left field? Like That's actually a really interesting question because I have brought it up. Like I brought it up about a year ago when things were getting kind of bad and they kind of brushed it under the rug saying like, I don't think that's their intention is to like hurt your feelings and stuff. And we did have like a meeting saying everyone needs to respect each other, but that's as far as it really went. Mm -hmm. It didn't go much further. And after talking with my leaders after this scenario, the two options were either they might remove us from projects together because she obviously doesn't want to work with me or get us in a room to hash it out together. But both of those, I was like, I feel like I'm being punished for someone not liking me. And what's there to hash out? You got the promotion and unfortunately she didn't. It feels like a very unprofessional environment to me. And I guess like it doesn't even seem like feelings are necessary in your conversation. It's sort of black and white. And like, what is the value of that and approaching it like this? This is not effective. Let's address this. Let's do it in a professional way. You know, whether it's documented, whether it's put in an email. And I think you have to document these kind of things to sort of state the case and state what's happening because people aren't allowed to mistreat people in a work environment anymore. They're just not. 
And you have to address it and you have to set the tone of what's acceptable and unacceptable to you. Even removing the feelings, it's not about your feelings getting hurt. It's about it being inappropriate, not effective, and not the right way to address something. Yeah. So if there are issues that need to be hashed out, let's discuss these issues together like adults and deal with them. Here's what I'm also worried about. Yes, I think you should document anything, you know, just to have. But Here's what the other issue is, which is a harder thing to solve in some ways, which is, do you have friends there? Because if you don't, then it means that's a miserable day. That's a hard day. Yeah. I don't have many friends in the area for sure, but I do have a couple of really good friends that have been really supportive and like really encouraging, which they're like my sanity. (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise, oh my God, if your teams were like smaller or something, just that would be so hard. I think it's really important what you're bringing up because even when you asked her the importance of, you know, this career choice and this job, because going to work and having that toxic energy and that feeling and having to carry that baggage around with you is is not healthy and not good. And I get the sacrifices that we make. Sometimes we have to do certain things that don't feel great, but there also has to come a point in time where you can address the whole big picture in the temperature of the environment, right? Right. So here's what I think, and it's going to be hard. Because it will take patience on your end and a little bit of Mm self-practice, which is keep busy, truly take the high road, always be polite, always be like smiling. Don't let them like pin any kind of behavior on you in any way that's retaliatory. The thing is, you've already spoken to your bosses and they have a problem with this scenario because I don't know, firing is so complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would in like six months, ask yourself how much of your day is enjoyable to be at work. Just keep gauging this and just protect yourself I'm wondering if in a healthy environment, like how tolerable that is and if there's a way to approach it with your superiors, you know, like just to bring it up very transparently, like this has to be addressed. This is not a professional way of dealing with these issues. If there are issues, I would like to deal with them and discuss them. And this approach is not acceptable. Like for me, I would want to shut it down. There are choices. I mean, that's why these conversations are great, right? There's so many different ways to approach things. So maybe the next conversation with your superiors is, I enjoy the work and I really want to enjoy being here. Unfortunately, certain individuals are making this environment unnecessarily unpleasant. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think this would be like I'm going to leave conversation. Yeah. If you ever got to that point giving the bosses an opportunity to help me like if there's a window there let me help you help me (laughs) yeah and maybe you can talk to the person who gave you the promotion but I wish I could tell you with a hundred percent certainty that they will be receptive and helpful but with the experience I had no one was really willing to take a stand or try to help Was there resolution? Like, was it ever salt? No. In the end, I just had to ignore it, and I did my best to keep smiling. That's awful and seems so wrong. It felt that way. Yeah. I don't want that to happen to Kelsey. I know. I know. That's why I was like, when I read your letter, I was really thinking— What do I tell you? Can I propose something opposite? Not to assume in any way that another option might be better than yours because I haven't been in that situation, but just food for thought. 
how does dealing with it in the moment, just shutting it down feel? Not in an aggressive way, just for example, and I'm just thinking out loud, and these are just possibilities, right? We're just talking here. Mm-hmm. Like, excuse me, but that doesn't work at all in this environment that doesn't feel professional. And if there are issues, let's address them. But the way that you are approaching this for me right now, I feel attacked. This doesn't seem like the right time or space for it. And professionally, like I need to know if there are issues here that we are not discussing, not so much to her, but to the powers that be like. Yeah. Well, they mentioned that they wanted us to get into a meeting together. So I could approach it like that and just explain like, I don't really understand where the issue is stemming from. I'm just worried that the duration of this is enough that she seems irrationally determined to not like you at all. Yeah. And she spends a lot of her day in a negative space, which must suck for her. And she's ballsy. That's what I said, too. I was like, who says that in front of your manager? Like, who does she think she is? Like, I'm sorry, but it like pisses me off because in a way where I like, I want to protect you. Like it actually, Mm -hmm. I feel angry right now hearing it. I always feel this way about my listeners. (laughs) No, I do. Like, who does she think she is? But I also think, Kelsey, just try to keep your mind off of her. Yeah. That's the only thing I can tell you. And you can do that by cultivating new friendships as well. Just not talking about it to other people because of course when you talk about it you're thinking about it and then you'll think more about it and there's really nothing to kind of mull over here this woman she's in a rough place I don't know and she spends a lot of time thinking about you (laughs) do you think that there's any relevance or truth to anything that she is saying about your performance like does any of it make sense is it her opinion that's related to something else Do you feel in any way that parts of what she's doing may have some facts behind them? At first, no. But like the more she says it, the more I start to doubt myself and think like, am I even qualified to do this? Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. I've had a kick to the confidence, but I think the most of the frustrations were outside of my hands. Like this project I was put on, a lot of the decisions were way above me and I was just there to present them. So I don't think... There's truth, but at the same time, I've doubted myself a lot since this has started, so. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I hate it. And even if it's something stupid, like she doesn't say hi to you in the elevator or whatever, like all that stuff, that is like a daily chipping away. Is she consistently awful to you? Well, before the promotion, she was, wasn't too bad. It was kind of like really nice to my face, but in meetings then she would get kind of nasty. So I'd be like, whoa, where's that coming from? But now she doesn't even just speak to me. It's kind of iced. Oh, God. Don't we find it odd, though? Like, is it just me that no one's addressing it with her? Like, you can't just be an asshole in the workplace. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird, too. But at the same time, I don't really know the rules behind it myself. Like, it's not really anything I've had to deal with myself. So to me, I was like, I think it's straightforward. You tell them to stop being an asshole, but apparently it's not. Then it's like, oh, okay, so you want me to say good morning to her? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, okay, you're going to get the same energy whether she talks to you or not. It doesn't sound like there's a team environment there. I think that sucks. I think it's really hard to create that. That's why I was asking about the culture, you know, the temperature of the workplace. And if that's not important 
to the powers to be, then you're in a really tough situation. Like that would be the first thing that I would do to remove the weakest link or the someone who's not on board as a team. We can only be creative and effective and work together if we are working as a cohesive team. And if there's friction, let's work on that. Let's fix that. If there were mistakes, like we learn from them, we grow from them. I just... For me, it seems like a really unhealthy environment from a leadership standpoint, quite honestly. Yeah. Like that's not even your problem to solve with her. This seems like a much bigger problem going back to what Anna was asking about the value of this job for you and being in that workplace where that type of behavior is allowed, not supported, but allowed. Like there's a higher position that needs to problem solve that toxic vibe. I think that's what I struggle with the most too, is I get that people like don't get along or whatever it may be. But I think that's what I struggle with the most is I feel like I'm not being supported at all. I feel like she's being really supported because they're like, we don't want to hurt her feelings. But I'm like, like you're a grown up. Yeah. So act like a grown up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like don't throw a jab, like find your words, like address it properly. Yeah. Act like a grown up. This has been really helpful for me, though, because I feel like I've almost been gaslit a little bit where I'm like, maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. Like, maybe oh, it is what it's like in workplaces. Cause I'm so sorry. Someone has said that. They're like, that kind of comes with the position. Like, people get mad. and I don't like that or accept that. And I don't want you to lean into that at all for whatever my opinion is worth. We deserve to be valued for what we do. We deserve to work in a place where our talents are, we're not always going to be appreciated. You may never hear thank you. That's fine. That's an emotional wish. But valued, yes. And to feel like what you're doing is important for the greater good of the company. Yeah, you deserve that. And to put yourself in a workplace, in a daily environment where you don't feel worthy and you don't feel value. And I don't just mean by someone else. It's starting to affect you. It's going to affect your performance. It's going to affect your creativity. And people don't get to just be shitty. Like be shitty at home. Like we have to deal with that in our personal life. But in the workplace, especially now, especially today, those things need to be addressed from the powers to be that are running a company. So I don't like that for you like at all. And Kelsey, I do think that it's really hard when I complained, like I knew that I was being targeted, but I felt like I was being heard as a high maintenance person who's overly sensitive. But the difference is, Kelsey, that looking back, I felt very targeted. This was specific to me. And as a result, it was incredibly difficult to take any kind of higher ground. I just, I honestly hate it for you. Yeah, it really sucks. How do you feel about, um, I don't want to plan for the exit, but also opening your eyes to what other possibilities are out there in the event that you might need to make a move for your overall well-being. Because I think we make a lot of sacrifices to pay the bills. I fully get that. So it's not always going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns at work. I get that. We have to be responsible. Mm -hmm. But I think it might be in your best interest to get ahead of it and do some exploration and see what some other possibilities are, because it will also give you strength. Like you don't want to feel in a powerless position where you have to tolerate something that doesn't feel right. You already know that this doesn't feel right, or you wouldn't have come and brought this to Anna's attention to get advice. So it's not to plan for your exit. It's to just make sure that you are never in a position of lesser power. But do know that they gave you that promotion for a reason. Yeah. I want you to find your strength, though, in setting a safe and healthy space for you to thrive in at work and 
it's not easy. I mean, I'm sorry for what you're going through too. It's it's not okay. Well, I really, really appreciate it all. That was so incredibly helpful for me and made me feel like very validated. Oh, and yes, and congratulations on the promotion. Yeah, thank you. You're the youngest person on your team. Like you're going places. Yeah. you know exactly. And that promotion is is valuable. And I would imagine that if they're getting rid of anyone, it's not you. It's actually her, and they might not know how to fix this either. So yeah, that yeah. is the problem of approaching them too soon before you figure out kind of within yourself, like okay, yeah, I can really do this. Yeah, and there'll be days, but there'll also be days when you find yourself thinking about her only 16 times. Yeah, right? (laughs) No, that's really good advice, guys. Thank you so much. Good luck. All right. Bye, Kelsey. Bye. Good luck. Bye. Brooke, you are wonderful at this. Sorry, I didn't mean to like oppose your like point of view. I just like, no, it's rad. I'm sorry for what you went through too. It sucks. We gave her, like, two different ideas. I'd like to squash someone like that. <laughs> I'm just like, it pisses me off. Can I ask you something really quickly? Sure, of course. So I was listening to some of your past interviews, and I came across one with Howard Stern. I think it was from 2002. God, yeah. Refresh my memory. <laughs> yeah, the world was a very different place. Mm-hmm. When Scary Movie came out, I was asked to be on the show, but I was just too nervous. You're speaking my language. Listening to your interview, I was like, fuck, I would have been so uncomfortable. But I guess you knew what you were getting into, and you handle yourself so gracefully. I'm, like, torn between regretting and being thankful I was never on it. You know, what's interesting is I had a very baller female publicist at the time, and Howard Stern was such a big hit back Mm -hmm. then, and I was so vulnerable. I think I was hosting Wild On at the time. I think I had just done a pictorial for Playboy, everything. And you know that he's going to be slimy because that's kind of his thing, and I kind of was prepared for all the jabs. It's such open scrutiny. It's beyond that. And back in the day, like his raunchiness was kind of like his thing. And he was actually, he's such an intelligent, like, respectable is not the right word that you would put in the same sentence with him. But like back in the day, that was his thing. You know what I mean? It's interesting that you brought that up because in today's day and age, it would never, ever go down. And I think that I learned how to divert, how to not take things personally, and how to sort of accept people's, like that was his jam. And I didn't take it personally. And as gross as it was, it was sort of like, it takes a lot to offend me. And I think the older I get, the louder I get. I probably would shut it down in a way and, you know, turn it back around. And But I can imagine how you felt at that time in your career and being young and having your moment where you don't want to go sit on a show where you know somebody's going to like be talking about that. But you kind of expect it. It really struck me like the way they spoke about people, almost as if they weren't there. Well, and it's degrading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I never let anybody make me feel that way. It's like there aren't too many things <laughs> that give me a lot of hope when I think about the future. Yeah. yeah. But that whole idea that 20 years ago, it truly wouldn't happen now. And that that's progress. It's just so unacceptable now. So you're right. That is progress. 
And I also think there's progress in the evolution of a young woman growing up and finding her voice and understanding how to deal with things and having options in her pocket to pull from, whether it's how to deflect, how to divert, how to walk away, how to stop something, how to express herself in a way that's in her best interest, not someone else's. And not learning how to do a dance for someone else, but finding power and comfort in controlling your own path as a woman. And it's interesting that you say that. Like, we could do a whole show about that. Just the delicacy of not compromising, but knowing how to do that dance. I really love how you illustrate that. You're so right. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about wellness and Brooke Burke body. I think I might need it. Totally. So I have made a business out of a wellness space that I'm super, super passionate about. And I enjoy this. It's meaningful to me as much as my career in television. And I just sort of accidentally fell into this space. But I guide and train and work with women all over the globe and teach them how to get into shape and stay in shape and crush their personal goals. And, you know, for me, it's like, it's not just fitness. Like wellness is this connection between mind, body, and spirit and how to get it done at home. And it's been such a challenging year. And when so much has been taken away from us, our classes, how we train, who we train with, human connection. So we've created this sort of digital gym, if you will, at home. And it's an app. It's practically free. And I choreograph content all the time, whether you want to target tone, work on your booty, work on your abs, work on your thighs, like whatever it is that you need. I'm showing women and kind of moms everywhere how to get into great shape, but it's also escapism. It's also for the head. It's for the balance. It's for the mind. It's for the stress. It's for better sleep. It's for all of those things and connecting those dots. So I have an awesome community. I love it. It's like a full-time gig for me right now. It's so fun, so meaningful. Brooke, that sounds incredible. We need it. Even if you don't love fitness, like I almost want to call it just mindful wellness because that's my jam. And I do all kinds of goofy things too. Like I'm a bit of like a tech geek and a biohacking geek. Like you should see my garage. I have like machines and infrared stuff and like vibrating machines and pods. And so I'm always reviewing and getting all this weird stuff sent to me. (laughs) And I've been working with a company called Beamer for a while now. And I won't lose you in the scientific part of it, but it basically improves your circulation and your recovery time and your overall well-being And it's literally like a pad. They have like a to-go pack too that's in a backpack, which is super cool because I can travel with it. But it's literally like a pad and you plug it in and set a program and you lay down for eight minutes. Like we don't have eight minutes, we're in big trouble. I do it twice a day. I lay down, you don't feel anything, but your body does. And it sort of just helps your body recover. It increases your circulation. It oxygenates the blood. It does all these things. That sounds amazing. It is amazing. And I can even like spot recover certain things or injuries. Like my kids can use it. I'm all about kind of biohacking the system so that I can feel healthy and vital. And all these things that we talk about where you think you're just going to pop some pill and rub some cream on your face, like it's a combination of a lot of different things. So I'm all about what I put in my body, how I train my body, how my body recovers. And Beamer is one of those things that's super easy. It's eight minutes. So I love that. And it's really easy to find all these things that I'm doing. I have a great community I'm producing new content every week. App is like, I don't know, maybe a nickel a day. It's like nothing. It's free for a week, so you could even try it. And even if it's not my app, like go find something on YouTube. Go find some free content and figure out how to take eight minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day 
and just care for yourself. I feel like we're in that space right now. Like you don't have to drive an hour to a class anymore. And I'm on all the smart TVs too, like Roku and Samsung and Vizio and all. Like you can light it up. It's like having me train you in your living room, which sounds weird, but it's kind of cool. And I really do the workouts. It's not just me going, here's one, two, three on a white screen. I'm like in my backyard. I'm doing live classes. I teach a class outside. We call it Mother Nature Studio where I invite friends and women in the community over. And so we have very safe live experiences. And I don't know, in a nutshell, that's my jam right now. I love it. I'm passionate about it. And I feel like I'm helping women everywhere. And it's important for so many reasons, like beyond the booty and the bikini, like so many reasons. Yep. Our stress, totally. our energy, all of it. Totally. Like a reflective yeah. healing. Yeah. We need it. Idea. We need it right now. <laughs> And you know what? I really saw that in your support that you gave our listeners that we talked to. Thank you. Do you have any specific tips or tricks for health and wellness going into the fall and holidays? Lots of people wait for New Year's resolutions to start crushing their goals and set them. I like to find ways to just manage the madness, manage the chaos of our lives. So I like accountability buddies. Do it with a friend find something online, find something free, find an app like mine that you can do at home in the privacy of your living room. Even if you don't love fitness, set attainable goals, be aware of your body. One of the best things that I've learned this year, and maybe it's because time slowed down and COVID taught us a lot of things that I think are important with compassion, I say that, but just slowing down to tap inside, to go inside, to listen to our bodies and to figure out what we want and need. And that's really my message and what I do in my mindful wellness app is teaching people how to achieve those goals, whatever they are. And it's not vanity. It's not anti-aging. It's about energy and long life and how we feel and setting a personal goal, a personal promise, keeping it, and then having that sense of accomplishment. So I'm really big on that. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of stuff for everybody else. So selfishly, which I don't even like that word, I'm like, put yourself on top of your to-do list. Get it done. We matter. We're worthy. Same kind of advice we're giving your listeners. You're worthy and we're capable of creating that philosophy, that inner confidence, that inner dialogue, that support system for ourselves as women. I could go on and on about it, but set goals, make personal promises, keep them. We deserve it. We're worthy. We're capable. That's it. I love that. I love that, Brooke. Now is the time for us to up our game, our wellness game, for obvious reasons, but just because we need to. Don't wait for your body to break down, you know? Oh, Brooke, thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. I really enjoyed this. Good. I'm so glad. You were just amazing. Thank you. What the hell do we know? But it sure is fun talking about it and entertaining possibilities. Like that's what I do. If anybody ever asks me for advice, it's like someone's always going to give you advice and tell you exactly how to do something. That's bull. Like these are just possibilities. So we get to have these really intimate conversations on podcasts, which I love. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, Brooke.